Morning, Chapel Hill. Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one as we jump back into Romans chapter 8. So if you do not have a Bible with you, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use to follow along with. And if you are receiving one of those Bibles that the ushers are handing out and you currently do not have a Bible of your own, Just keep the one that you've just been given and take it with you and dig into it. And when you have your Bibles out or when you get your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Um, I want to make a a personal invitation to the married couples in the room. Um, At 9 o'clock next Sunday, we're going to start a a series together for a few weeks um, called Table for Two. And the reason it's called Table for Two is because I'm going to have the two of you, you and your spouse... Sit at a table for two, and you're going to talk to each other. So, husbands, when your wife says, oh, that would be great, we should do that, your response is going to be, yes, dear, and we'll see you next Sunday at 9. All right, speaking of marriage, congratulations go out to uh, Holly Ostrowski, who is now Holly Fredrickson, who married Lee a week ago yesterday, and I had the privilege of doing um, that wedding for them, and um, it was so much fun. It was so much fun. Um, There are not very many places where you get to do a wedding, and as soon as the ceremony's over, you get to go and ride a model train right there on their property, and it was, man, it was great. Um, two pastors involved in the ceremony, just some phenomenal testimony and symbolism, great, great significance to their marriage. And, um, it was, it was a treat. So excited about what lies ahead for them. Um, we have a bunch of people out today. We have people who, um, are running in the marathon. We are going to pray for them because there's something wrong with those people. There are (laughs) There are people that are cheering them on and um, supporting this marathon. Um, this, this is, uh, our group is doing this as a fundraiser for Deb Jordan and the expenses that she has related to her cancer treatment. And so um, we want to just bless them as they go. Um, we also have a, a pack of middle schoolers and leaders who are up at Trout Lake Camp right now uh, for the middle school fall retreat and um, hearing lots of stories and seeing lots of pictures from up there. And God is doing some really good things. Um, so let's just take a moment right now and just pray together for a few things. We pray with me. Father, thank you that um, right now as we come before you and we pray, there's a lot going on. And I love how engaged you are with us in prayer. And as we look at that this morning, God, I pray that you would just open our eyes, our minds, our hearts so that we can understand this. And so that when we pray, it's different from here on for the rest of our lives. As we see maybe for the first time, just some of what's going on when we come before you. And so, Father, we want to lift some things up to you right now. I want to lift up Holly and Lee and ask that you would bless their marriage that you would continue the work that you've started in them, that the tremendous, deeply rooted faith that I see in both of them 
would be the very thing that, that establishes the foundation for their marriages. They look to you for completion, and they look to serve each other with their lives. God, just bless them with every day that they have. Father, as we um, think of those who are running in the marathon or supporting those running in the marathon, we're reminded that there are needs in this congregation, deep needs. I think in particular of Deb and, and of Gail Huntington this morning and how the two of them are, are really struggling in a very, very difficult place in their fight against cancer. And I lift them up to you and I ask that you would put your healing hand on them. We know that you can heal them. Ultimately, we're asking for your will to be done. But we want healing. So we just ask you on their behalf that you, would, that you would put your hand on them, that you would give them strength and recovery and restoration. Lord, there are so many things going on in our church right now with broken marriages and relationships and broken hearts, broken minds, things that, that you know, that you understand fully, and we lift those things up to you. We know that those, there are those here who are struggling with career and, and, and all kinds of different things with parenting, with school, with work. There's so many things going on, Lord, but we know that we can come to you and say, Father, you know what's going on. You know these things. You know deeply and intimately what's happening. And so we lift those people up to you. I lift this congregation up to you, Lord, and just ask for your hand to be on each one of them. I pray for our middle schoolers who are up at Trout Lake and, and getting into their final chapel session right now, um, that you would just continue speaking into their lives, that this would be a point of growth in their lives, that they would draw closer to you, that they would make decisions that will last for their lifetimes, that, that they will follow you wholeheartedly, eyes on you, that they will obey that they will serve and love and share and, and just become the people that you've created them to be. And I pray for our leaders that as they engage in conversation on the way back, um, that you will just bless that dialogue. Keep them safe, Lord, and bring them back to us. Father, thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for being right here with us. Thank you for the things that you are about to teach us and reveal to us. We lift this, uh, this time of, of studying and learning together, of growing together up to you. We lift our communion time, a time of, of worship and praise up to you and just ask that you would meet us here right now. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look back briefly at uh, where we were last week with Peter. Um, Romans chapter 8, verses 24 and 25. This is what Paul wrote. He said, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And Peter reminded us last week of this incredible hope that is there and this invitation that God gives us to live in that hope. And I wanted to touch on hope just a little bit. I wanted to add one thing um, to, to what he said. And it's this, because as I looked at it, this is something that stood out to me as well. And, um, and I deeply appreciate what Peter brought to us last week and that creativity you couldn't help but watch and, 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 and wonder when he was going to say 
vertical again and mean horizontal and those kinds of things. And I, I love his honesty and his creativity. I can't do that. Um, I had in my mind that I was going to make a, a video um, of, of me doing it on my phone. And that just to demonstrate how that would turn out, I would walk into a poll during my first sentence. And that would pretty much sum up how it would go for me. So I'm going to stand up here and talk to you instead. And, uh, and I'll leave the, the, that kind of creativity to him. Um, let's dig in just a little bit more about hope. Because one of the things that I'm learning as I read Romans chapter 8... And, and dig into it is that this hope is so much bigger and broader than what we may think of when we think or say hope. Because the hope that Paul's writing about here is past hope, present hope, and future hope. And that's what I want to hit on just a little bit um, regarding hope being past hope. Paul said in these verses, he says, in this hope, we were saved. We were saved in that hope. And so hope is something that was applied to us, given to us, past tense. It has happened. And it feels a little bit contradictory because when we talk about hope, most of the time, if not all of the time, we're talking about something in the future, aren't we? Hope has to do with something that's out there. We're looking towards something. We're hoping for some change, for something new. The hope is out there on the horizon. And I want to challenge that perspective this morning because hope is past as well. It's part of our past. It's not just something that we hope for in the future. This has been God's plan since the fall. Since the fall of mankind, since Adam and Eve blew it and sinned and sin entered the world and this became Satan's kingdom, God spoke into that immediately and he said, I'm going to save you. And that saving would happen before now. It's a past thing. And he said, and I am going to complete that saving. I'm going to complete that salvation when Jesus comes back. So there's these bookends, and they're both based on hope. We were saved in this hope. And we're looking forward with hope to the completion of our salvation. So the the then part of that plan was send Jesus to save us. And then in the middle, there's the now part of that plan. And it was God's plan to give us the Holy Spirit to keep us Now, remember something, that God made the move towards us. He gave us this hope. He did it in the past. We were saved in this hope. And hope is in the present as well. We have now the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit is in us. God's Spirit is here We have faith in the unseen, in the fact that God's spirit is here, even though we can't see him. And the hope that we have for today, the hope that we have to stand on is the Holy Spirit. It's God's spirit here and now. He's the guarantee of God's promises. So we are hopeful in life. We are complete in life. We have everything that we need because we have God's spirit in us. That is hope that we are living with. 
And hope is, of course, the future as well. As the Holy Spirit living in us is, is like a chin guard for us. It keeps our head up. It keeps our eyes to the horizon. He is that hope for us. He keeps us looking for that day when our hope comes and our salvation is complete and all of that work is finished. So we've got that down payment now, but the rest of the harvest is coming. And so I want to encourage you this morning to cultivate hope in your life from this perspective, from the perspective that hope is past, present, and future. It is all of those things. It's not just wishful thinking for something off in the distance that may or may not come. Hope is all of it. Hope is past, present, and future. And here's how I would encourage you to to cultivate hope in your life. Remember what God has done for you. Bring it to mind from time to time. Sit down and make a list if it helps. Just every so often, put it on your calendar. Sit down and write out as much as you can. This is what God has done for me. My past hope. In this hope, I was saved. Write it down. Make it a part of your prayer life. Pray with thanksgiving daily for what God has already done for you. For the hope that you've been given. I know another great way to to make this a part of your reality. Tell somebody else what God has done for you. Talk to the people around you. Talk to your brothers and sisters. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your family. Talk to somebody about it. Make it a part of the dinner table conversation. Whatever it is, talk about it. And you'll understand what it is to cultivate hope. Past tense in your life. What about present tense? Live a hopeful life now. You are living between what God has done for you and what he's going to do for you. Live there. That ought to be enough for all of us to release that pressure that we put on ourselves to get everything that we can right now. We have received all that we need. We are going to receive all that we need. Take this life and live it in, in, in a way that, that turns your attention to, to something other than yourself, to, to someone other than yourself. Because you have past hope and future hope, and you can stand on that now and live a hopeful life in the present. And I've talked about future hope I've talked about the idea of having an anticipation trigger, and I appreciate Peter bringing that up again related to the the sunrise. Um, It's working for me. Uh, I'm almost disappointed now when the sun comes up, and I'm like, oh, not today. Not today. He's not coming back yet. Maybe tomorrow. Um, it's, It's a great trigger for me, but what is it for you? Is there a verse that you need to put up somewhere or put on the the home screen on your your phone um, that, that just reminds you of that? Reminds you of your hope. Is there a song that you need to play on a regular basis? Is something, something that will trigger that for you, that will bring that hope to mind? This morning I want us to look at one aspect of living in hope right now. And so let's look at verses 26 and 27 in Romans chapter 8. Paul goes on to write this. He says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Love these verses. We're going to break this into pieces and we're going to invite God to teach and encourage and inspire us through these words. So Paul starts out in verse 26 with the word, likewise, in the same way, we groan, creation groans, the spirit also groans. He groans in the same way that we do. And here's the reality piece in this. The spirit of God is here. God's Holy Spirit is right here and he is experiencing everything we experience with us. And it is a whole lot harder for him than it is for us as he watches what's going on, as he sees humanity groaning through the hurricanes and the earthquakes, through the violence and threats of violence, through the racial tension and the political tension, through the relational stress and the personal anguish. He's here. God's Spirit is here. And he fully understands everything that we're going through. God is not insensitive to the world's futility. Not at all. His spirit experiences it all with us. And Paul writes this. He says, the spirit helps us in our weakness. God voluntarily gets involved in our weakness. He cares. And so he's involved And this, what Paul's referring to here is our human condition in general. The reason for the groaning of creation and our groaning. Um, He's not picking on one specific personal thing in this passage. He does in other places, but not right here. It's a a general sense that he's speaking in that refers to the, the human condition. But then in spite of our human weakness, in spite of our human weakness, just... Just look for a minute at how much good the Spirit does in us and through us. All that we do that's impressive, all that happens in us that is impressive and and encouraging, this is God's Spirit at work. He helps us in our weakness. His help is incredible. The church in the midst of the weakness is still an unstoppable force in this world. The gospel still goes out with supernatural power and people are drawn to God and lives are transformed. The world is still drawn to God even in this unfinished state. God is still at work here because the Spirit is helping us. Look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. It says, For I know, and this is Paul speaking, he writes this letter as well, it says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He had that confidence in the help of God's Spirit in his weakness. Paul highlights the help of the Spirit in his own life here. It's, it's God's Spirit who knows how to work out God's perfect will in our lives. He knows that. We'll talk more about that in a little while. Paul then mentions a very specific way in which the Spirit helps us as God's family. In the verses that we're looking at this morning, halfway through verse 26, Paul writes this. He says, For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So let's have some honest dialogue about prayer. 
Because it's a spiritual discipline that no matter how many circumstances I've been in, how many churches I've been in, no matter where I've been, this is something that we as God's people struggle with. Prayer can be a very difficult thing, even for God's children. And my goal for this morning is to address that by pointing you to Romans eight twenty six and 27. But there are some things that we've got to admit first. We need to be honest. This is not a time for us to put on a mask, to put on our prayer voices, and to use old English and come before the Father with our these and thous and present ourselves to him. Let's admit that prayer can be difficult at times. When's it, when's it easiest? When things go wrong. Isn't it? When things are bad, that's when it's easy. Our entire nation prays when something goes wrong. And there it is. It comes right back. But we struggle other times. Maybe we struggle because we don't have the time. Maybe we struggle because we don't have the discipline. Maybe we struggle because we don't feel like we're good at it. We haven't mastered the art of prayer. But we struggle. Prayer seems to be difficult for us. Often, prayer also seems ineffective for us at times because we can't always see the answers. Or sometimes we get discouraged when we can't see those answers right away or when those answers are not the answers that we're looking for. And we think it's ineffective. A lot of people just quit. No, I'm not praying. Don't pray for me. I've heard that far too many times. Don't bother praying for me. It doesn't work. Prayer can also seem like a very isolated thing at times. We are by ourselves and we're praying to the wall or we're praying to the air or we're praying to the ceiling. And it's just us, wherever we are, no matter what great environment we create for prayer, it's just us. Paul writes that we do not know what to pray as we ought. We do not know what to pray as we ought. I want you to take a minute right now and bring to mind something that you're praying for right now. Maybe it's one of the people in our church family who's facing cancer or something else right now. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's a, an in-law that is lost. Maybe it's a kid. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a situation that's just messed up. Maybe it's our government. It could be all kinds of things. What are you praying for right now? Do you know exactly what you ought to be praying for? I don't. And, and according to this, even the great apostle Paul didn't know. He didn't get it. He didn't always know exactly what he ought to be praying for. Are your prayers always in alignment with God's will? Listen, we have limitations. We have limited perspective on things. We have limited wisdom that we can bring to situations. We have very limited understanding. How can we know exactly what to pray for? We can't. We can't. 
It's no wonder then that in in Jesus' instructions to prayer, uh, to his disciples on prayer, he teaches them to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Whatever that might be, because we're not certain, but your will be done. We need help. And God's Holy Spirit willingly steps in to help us. How? That's the next part of our message. Glad you asked. In verse 26 again, it says, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. We groan over the state of God's creation. The Spirit steps in to help us, and he takes that groaning to a whole new level before God the Father. Think about this. God's Spirit unites with us in our longing for the return of Jesus. We desire to be fully set free. He desires for us to be fully set free. We want restoration. He wants restoration. We long for healing. He longs for our healing. And so within the community that is the triune God, there is communication that takes place. And this is part of that communication. The Spirit groans with us before the Father. He's an interceder for us. He picks up where we fall short and he finishes the task. Paul put this together for the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 11, where he writes, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Our spirits communicate, and between us and God, his spirit picks up that communication and delivers it perfectly. God saved us, past tense. He justified us. He made us righteous. That's our past reality that came to us. Now he stands with Jesus before God the Father as a constant communicator. And God understands the spirit who is in us because the spirit understands God in ways that we cannot yet understand God. Hebrews 7.25 brings Jesus into the picture, describing Jesus as one who is always making intercession for us. We'll get a little visual picture of this in a few minutes. Now, if even for a moment Jesus and the Spirit were to stop doing their work of intercession on our behalf, I cannot begin to imagine what would happen to us. Let's look at verse 27 now. Paul writes, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul has written of us and then of the spirit's role in our lives as intercessor. Now he brings the father into into the picture again and he connects the dots for us. The Bible talks about this elsewhere too, about this knowledge, this understanding. This is 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When Paul writes of he who searches the heart, he's referring to God the Father. Then here's 1 Kings 8.39. Here in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know 
according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind. God knows our hearts. When the disciples were trying to replace the vacancy that Judas Iscariot left, they prayed that God would show them who he had selected for that spot. They prayed, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you've chosen. God searches hearts. And Paul connects that reality to his interaction with the Spirit. So he says in verse 27 again, And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul repeats the fact that the Spirit intercedes for us. But he makes it clear here that the Spirit knows exactly what to pray. He's got that. The Spirit prays exactly according to God's will. What God desires for his people, the Spirit prays because the Spirit knows God's will perfectly and God knows the mind of the Spirit perfectly because they're one. Now, wouldn't you like to be able to communicate in your marriage that well? Or in any relationship for that matter, what an incredible privilege it is to have the Spirit of God personally helping us in this way. It takes an enormous load off my shoulders to always get it right when I pray. And it removes, hopefully, that discouragement that I feel when I think I didn't get it right when I prayed. I don't have to know God's will perfectly. The Spirit does. And as I pray, he intercedes for me. This is our current hope. The Spirit's helping us. He's not just something that we can't see somewhere on the horizon. He's right here living in us. Our spirits communicate with him. And he communicates with the Father perfectly. I want to give you a a little bit of a visual here. Just maybe this will help it stick. I think this just thinking about this works for me. So David Steinmeier, come here. I know I didn't warn anybody about this. Not at all. Not at all. So go sit in that chair. (laughs) All right, Ryan and Betsy, come here. Ryan, stand right here. Betsy, stand right here and, and face David. Okay. All right. I want, I want this just to be a little bit of a visual for us, okay? Um, don't let this go to your head, you guys, but you are the triune God, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Betsy laughs. David takes credit. Excellent. <laughs> David sitting up here is God the Father, Okay. At the right hand of God the Father is the Son. And at his left hand is the Holy Spirit. When you pray, please try to picture your prayer life this way. Because we have been invited by God to step into this picture. And these two are on our side. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He pleads our case before the Father every moment of every day. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, interceding for us. 
with groanings too deep for words to describe or express. I won't ask you to do that. When we come before God in prayer, brothers and sisters, we are not alone. We're not speaking to the wall. We stand within the community of the triune God. And he accepts and loves us and listens to us and responds to us because his son is pleading our case. His son took our punishment. He took our penalty. We're spotless because of what Jesus did. And we, we stammer and, and, and trip over our words and try and say the right thing. And the spirit says, I got this. And speaks for us to the father. And the father knows the spirit's mind. And they communicate on our behalf. You are not alone when you pray. Understand this. You are in the community of the triune God. What a place to be. What an amazing place to be. All right, you guys can go sit down. God, take a seat. (laughs) I know you don't have to do as I say. (laughs) Your will be done, David. (laughs) Is that not a great reality? We're going to share communion again this morning together. And I want you to listen what Paul wrote about this beautiful sacrament that's before us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 26, just listen to what he wrote. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And this is another example of the already but not yet lives that we live. Jesus died, past tense. We were saved in that hope. He's coming back, future tense. But we do our proclaiming now. We have been saved and we are going to be fully saved. Meanwhile, we live in hope. Following his resurrection, Jesus eventually ascended to heaven to be reunited with his father. He took his place on the throne at the right hand of the father. And there the son and the spirit are interceding for us. When you come to take the bread and the cup this morning, I want you to come with this picture in your mind. And these words from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That mercy and grace are ours. Help 
is ours. Direct communication with our Father is ours. The Son and the Spirit are ours. Church, let's live like that's true. I want to invite the elders to come and prepare to serve and the worship team as well. And while they're coming, I want us to do something together. I want us to go to prayer. And I want to encourage you to do a few things in your prayer this morning that may be different or new. I want you to pray in line with the things that we've seen and heard, learned from Paul in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. So close your eyes and bow your heads. In your spirit, just acknowledge the presence of God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Address them in your prayer. Admit your weakness. And try presenting to God what's making you groan. That thing that I asked you to bring to mind, that person, that situation, bring it to mind and present it to God. As you pray, you're not going to get it right. You're not going to know exactly what to pray. So invite God's spirit to take over for you. And trust him to do what God wants done in that situation. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you this morning with confidence. We have been invited to stand before you with confidence because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Who gave his body for us, who shed his blood for us. And now we stand before you on the throne with Jesus standing next to us, declaring again that his work is finished. And God, I thank you for that gift. Thank you for your son. Thank you for his blood. Thank you for his body. Thank you for sending him to save us. for the hope that comes with that. I thank you this morning for your Holy Spirit living in me, living in us, who intercedes for us right now on our behalf. And those things that are heavy on our hearts, I thank you that your Spirit steps in right now just assures us by saying, I'll take it from here. And God, I can hardly believe that your desire is to have that intimate level of communication with us. Where we stand in the midst of your community as the triune God, one but three. And on one side is your son.
pleading our case. And on the other side is your spirit going, this is what he means. And you and your spirit connect in perfection. Oh, God, help us to pray like this. Help us to get away from this stupid mentality that, that we, have to, we have to use some perfect formula. We've got to get it right. And just see ourselves standing there in the community of the triune God. Thank you for that beautiful reality. Thank you for hearing our prayers and understanding them fully. Thank you that your will is perfect. And even though we don't understand it fully, your spirit does and he connects us to you and we're there. Thank you for that. Thank you again for the body and blood of Jesus Christ that has made it possible for us to boldly approach the throne of God. Help us to remember that as we come. We lay ourselves before you again as a church and as individuals. In the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.